Uh, those of us who know uh, Roger, it doesn't surprise you that the mastermind behind force on force training is Roger Turner. He does, Roger does force on force training to get to work in the morning. That, and this guy lives that kind of a life. It is uh, really remarkable what you pulled off in the last year. Uh, sitting next to me, you should know, uh, is uh, Vice Admiral Moran. You know why he's here? I didn't know. And I asked him, I said, what? <laughs> what? He's here because uh, your CNO asked him to be here. Yeah. And uh, before I get started, I was thinking of uh, the comments from General Faulkner before about how many people are in here, and it's great. And thank you for making this shift uh, from Marriott, I think it was, initially, right? Marriott. And I was, you know, the inside part of me is like, it's a good thing it was a ground dinner because if it was a Marine Air Board, they'd still be, at, you know, at trying to put their stuff in some kind of tablet and it wouldn't be like 40 people here. But of course, we all have maps, we have compasses, we, 550 of us are going to make it over here, right? That's good. Um, thank you for, uh, just as General Smith said, the General Faulkner and the Foundation, remarkable job, and most of the people in here know if it wasn't for them, I mean, literally almost, we would be doing this in a parking lot somewhere in Quantico inside of a tent, eating tray wraps or some kind of nasty stuff, but... They make it possible to bring together evenings like this, and I think it's really special. General Smith and his whole team, I'm glad you uh, highlighted that, because uh, Pipino is the one who kind of shepherds all the parts of the ground combat element. And the industry in here, I'll just uh, say thank you to them too. I'm, I'm right with General Faulkner. Uh, there was a time when we didn't talk to industry because we were afraid, afraid to. I was told, I'm sure taught not to, because you don't do that, that's, that's how people get in trouble. But we're way past that now. We're young Marines and engineers are like, are we even close? Let's do this faster. And uh, it's a much better place than 25, 30 years ago. So in addition to the dinner tonight, I'm just thanking you for closing the gap between some engineer who has an idea how to make something and a Marine who uh, needs something made. And, everybody else get the heck out of the way and things happen pre pretty darn quick. So I'm thanking you for cutting out all the middle layers. Um, this evening I am gonna talk a little bit about where we are and where we're going and uh, break some new ground. And I'll start by uh, saying that my conclusion is uh, this summer coming in and talking with General Neller and a, a whole bunch of people in this room is that the Marine Corps is at an inflection point and we must change. And that's what we talk a little bit about this evening. And for those in the room who are a bit concerned about the change that we need to make in the Marine Corps and what it might mean to our beloved ground combat element, I would tell you to calm down. Uh, it's not a zero sum game. Uh, we'll make the changes that we need to. We may need to get smaller we are going to need to trim some parts of the Marine Corps that we've had for a long time, but are not a good fit for the future. All that we're used to doing. This is not the first time uh, a Marine Corps has made some changes. But fundamentally, 
as, as General Smith tells us, we will remain an agile and a lethal force. That's what we do. And that all of that undergirded by the tactical excellence that General Turner's making sure we get from the squad level all the way up. Those parts don't change. I think uh, it is a great time to be a Marine. You should be excited, you should be motivated. Because no, nobody moves out like the Marine Corps, nobody leans forward into change like we do. And everybody in this room knows that when there are big challenges, in addition to the challenges, there are always opportunities. And this is what Marines do best. It is a great time to be a Marine. We always lean forward, we sense it's time to change, we get in front and we stay in front. And that's what we're gonna do for the next coming years. This uh, summer, beginning in July, we started a threat-based force design effort. Threat-based. Um, at this stage in that, we're in the sort of latter part of the fourth quarter, where we're, we have a 90, 95% solution, and we're going through over and over and over again iteration of changing a couple of variables to make sure that against the threats we think we have to face, we have the structure right in our Marine Air Ground Task Force. So we're close. Tonight, uh, I won't be able to share with you the eaches, the details part of that, but I am gonna share with you the logic behind it. And you will get a feel, I think, pretty quickly in the next few minutes of where we're going. Um, I think the, the background, uh, those of us in the room who are planners, you're gonna, you're gonna extract the the framing part, the assumptions, the facts, the conclusions, all that stuff, and we're gonna cover this evening just, just uh, in a bit of detail. First, let me say uh, the beginning part of force design, why we need to redesign our Marine Corps. It is driven by China's pivot uh, towards the sea. And that primary front, which they have opened up, uh, is renewed great power competition, and you can add Russia, of course, to that equation. That combination has fundamentally transformed the operating environment in which the naval and the joint force must operate. Specifically, I think uh, the Navy and the Marine Corps, and this is the hard part we gotta come to grips with, really has to accept that presumptive sea control Presumptive sea control is no longer something that the United States can rely on. We will compete for it. And just as a reminder, presumptive sea control, our amphibious doctrine tells us that sea control, air superiority, necessities, right? They're prerequisites for success, along with surprise, along with dominance in the domains, and especially in spectrum. Put simply, in a sentence, uh, my words, our naval forces today, naval forces today, are not optimized for gray zone competition and they are not optimized for conventional deterrence against a modern peer adversary. My conclusion. You know that China and Russia have carefully studied us for the past 18, 19, 20 years. They took good notes fed that back into their systems and built a force specifically designed to overmatch the United States. All that time, of course, the bulk of our focus was in the Middle East in a counterinsurgency effort. They were not detracted, they focused only on us. 
So for us then, staying ahead uh, for us means we're gonna have to have new concepts and new approaches from the sea services. And I'm gonna talk largely tonight about both the Navy and the Marine Corps in order to compete and in order to deter our peer adversaries. This is gonna require us to operate outside our traditional kind of comfort zone. And we're gonna to have to embrace a new way of operating, a new mindset that's in, in Admiral Gilday's, uh, your CNO's uh, term, integrated American sea power. That's where we must go. So here's a, a set of questions that we're, we have wrestled with for the past five, six, seven months. If that's true, then how can we leverage the various authorities and the capabilities of Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, interagency? How can you integrate all of them uh, to show adversaries a new look and complicate their decision cycle? How do we employ all of that strategy afloat together with allies and partners in direct contact, in direct contact with uh, peer adversaries. And not just their conventional military, but their paramilitary as well. Like you know, in a gray zone sort of environment, they're flooding the zone. Uh, how do we win the information battle? How do we inform, influence all of the neighbors of actions like China's coercive efforts? How do we accomplish that? And all this I'm driving towards is we're gonna have to rethink the way that we approach warfare to some degree. I think we have to be prepared, of course, all the time to uh, respond to threats across the entire spectrum of conflict, given. But our first priority, our first priority as a naval service has to be deterrence. Why? This is actually a pretty simple conclusion because the cost of competition, the cost of deterrence, will always be lower than the cost of a conflict in terms of blood and treasure both. Um, we should be willing to pay the cost of deterrence, in other words. So this means that our fleet marine forces, follow the logic train with me, the fleet marine forces and the naval component must be able to operate inside the, the threats, the enemies, sensory and weapons engagement zones. That's where Marines are comfortable operating. It's how we can best support the Naval Force and the Joint Force and their scheme of maneuver. This is where your Marines belong, inside. So here's our basic premise. Our ability, this is a little bit complicated, but our ability to conduct sea control and sea denial operations both from the sea and from key maritime terrain is an essential naval capability in modern armed conflict. That's my premise. It's not a nice to have, it is essential. Particularly, particularly in close and confined seas. And when we use the term, you and me use the term sea control and sea denial, which the Navy has a doctrinal explanation for, you and me can translate it very simply into sinking ships, shooting down planes, killing enemy forces inside the area and stopping all other forces from coming in. It's pretty straightforward. That's what we do. So if, if that's uh, the approach that I just laid out, what are the conclusions so far? I would offer to you three basic ones. First, 
the rise of peer competitors, and noted, I'm deliberately, intentionally not saying near peer. The rise of peer competitors means that warfare has undergone a paradigm shift that necessitates changes in the fundamental assumptions upon which the current force, the force we have this afternoon, is built. Second, improving what we currently have in an incremental manner, in other words, capability, capacity, in an incremental matter will not suffice to resolve that challenge. Nor will, conducting, will connecting just new platforms with old ones or minor changes to our methods. None of them are gonna suffice. Third, we're going to need new capabilities that we do not have right now. These are the means, of course, to fight in new ways, to generate basically better strategic choices for the Joint Force and the Naval Commanders. And by Naval, I mean Marine and, and Navy. Put those three together and um, you might conclude, I have, that we're gonna have to first adapt and then innovate the force to actually bend the curve of future war in a new direction so we can maintain our competitive advantage. That is the genesis of force design. When you realize that incremental annual changes are gonna put you farther and farther and farther behind, you stop, project deep, in our case, 10 years, and that's driving force design. The premise behind our force design effort as a naval force is stand-in or inside forces. I believe that what our nation needs is a future Marine Corps that is trained, equipped as a naval expeditionary force in readiness and prepared to operate as an inside or stand-in force within contested maritime terrain in support of fleet operations. That's in a mission statement, that's it. All the war games uh, so far over the past 18 months support that hypothesis and reinforce the conclusion that naval expeditionary stand-in forces can actually generate technically disruptive tactical stand-in engagements that really confront the aggressor with a new look in ways that they can't react to. These are low signature, affordable, risk-worthy approaches. Let me just put it in plain language that you and I can understand. Here's what this means. Our peer adversaries need to perceive a bunch of small, mobile marine units in their backfield with low signatures, bad attitudes, and toolkits full of disruptive capabilities. That's what we have to generate inside where they operate in their backfield. Basically, throw a wrench into their entire game plan. These are inside forces, again, and we have to have, we're gonna need the advantages of emerging new technologies to get there to make it an integrated naval force, as CNO tells us, optimized to operate inside confined areas. That is the Marine Corps' sweet spot as a core. That is our unique contribution to the Joint Force. Let me talk a little bit then about force design. And I'm gonna use two terms uh, which are used in the Pentagon, but outside may be foreign, and those are investments or things we have to put our resources into and divestments, things we have to reduce. 
The outcome of the war games so far and all of our modeling and simulation tells us that we're over-invested. We have excess of capabilities that are purpose-built for large-scale, conventional, land-borne operations. You and I, some of us, think Desert Shield, Desert Storm. We are built, ideally, for 1990. Tonight, what I'm, I'm going to go through a few areas just to give you a flavor for where I think we're going to need to make some cuts, to make some reductions, to divest to some degree. Surge layer capability in our reserves and also in the maritime preposition force. Our focus, our primacy is as a contact to blunt force. We are the front lines. Manned anti-armor ground and aviation platforms, manned ground transportation, and associated all the movement parts and capabilities of that. Traditional towed artillery that we can't, if we can't, modify for hypervelocity projectiles. Short range mortar systems that aren't, lack the precision that we need and they lack the lethality and range that we're gonna need. Non-lethal short range UAS. Excess equipment that we today maintain in admin storage. Vehicles, aircraft, systems that we either can't afford to procure or can't afford to sustain over the life of the system. Those are where we gotta make some reductions. So before anybody goes running for one of those little things on the wall that has like cardiopulmonary written all over it, <laughs> um, over-invested, when I tell you that these are broad areas where we're gonna to need to make changes, it doesn't mean go to zero. It means we have to, we have to make some adjustments but we gotta be rational about how we're doing it. Okay, so if, that's the case, if those are the broad areas where we're gonna to have to think about making some adjustments in terms of reductions, what are the areas where we need to move towards? Where are we underinvested right now? Low cost, lethal, long endurance, unmanned combat aerial vehicles. Unmanned, lethal, and non-lethal ground and amphibious vehicles. Mobile, and rapidly deployable rocket artillery and long-range precision fires. Unmanned aerial and ground logistics vehicles. Loitering munitions across every echelon of the force. Mobile air defense and counter PGM capabilities, which we used to have, but without an air threat, we got rid of. We trimmed that wing back. We're underinvested in that now. And that includes directed energy systems. Signature management capabilities, electronic warfare capabilities, expeditionary airfield capabilities, and the structure that goes along with it. We need more lethal, risk-worthy surface vessels to include long-range unmanned surface vessels and other unmanned platforms, including subsurface. All that is where the naval force, in my view, our view, needs to go. But those are things we have to excess and other areas where we're underinvested in, where we're going to need to pour some resources in. Let me just complicate it a little bit further for you. This is great power competition. We have a pacing adversary, a pacing threat. We have to figure out within our budgets if we are able to, can afford to stay in front in every area. Or, in certain areas, can we accept risk and let an adversary set the pace, wear themselves out, pour their resources into it, 
make the mistakes in front of us. We're not, that's, that's territory we haven't been in 30 years. We have dominated every area. Great power competition is not simple. In some areas, we may choose to allow the adversary to punch in front and wear themselves out deliberately. But we're not used to doing that. I don't have an answer for it, but uh, I'm just telling you, like you all already know, peer competition, great power competition is not easy. So, the incremental minor adjustments that I talked about to our current force, that would only allow our adversaries to open up a wider and wider and wider margin five, six, seven, eight years from now and pass us. And that we will not allow to happen. We have to, as General Mattis coined the phrase, expand the competitive space. And we have to always be prepared to win in the next war, not just get there. We have to win. To do that, we have to redesign our Marine Corps and focus our efforts as a naval expeditionary force. Timeline, 10 years out. This is not a two or a three or a four year horizon. And we will no doubt have to make changes along the next 10 years. Why? Because we have a pacing adversary. They're going to adjust off of us. This is not going to be a static, take a picture, fast forward 10 years, you know where you got to be. We're both going to be keying off of each other. In great power competition, it's all about relative advantage, right? Not absolute capability advantage, but relative, relative to competition. All this meaning we can, either, we can either find ourselves in the react mode or drive a threat to react to us. So that's where we are. I think in the next, uh, I'm confident in the next 60 days, 70 days, we'll have the design of the Marine Corps complete and we'll move pretty quickly. In this current budget, you won't see much change. Next year, year after that, you'll see significant change. But again, not to hit the panic button, this is a 10-year evolution. So the areas that we need to thin down are not going to be done next week. We'll feather them, we'll drill, draw them down while we increase another capability. But we must redesign our Marine Corps. Let me just finish up saying, uh, first of all, you could ask uh, anybody to be uh, guest tonight. I'm very appreciative, General Faulkner, that you asked us to be here. We have huge changes in front of us. I have the best two partners in the world uh, in the Sergeant Major and the CNO and the best boss I could ask for, your Secretary of the Navy. All of them recognize it's time we have to move. We've, if we don't do that in the next two or three years, we will fall behind, and we are not going to fall behind. So thank you all for being here tonight. Thanks, industry, for what we're, I'm thanking you up front for what we're going to need you to do, because we do not have all the answers tonight. We're going to need you to work with us.